Our first scripture reading is from the book of Job in the 42nd chapter. Listen for God's word to you today. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak, I will question you and you declare to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent of dust and ashes. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job as he, when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then there came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before. And they ate bread with him in his house. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karenhapuch. In all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his children's children, four generations. And Job died old and full of days. From the 34th Psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried, and was heard by the Lord, and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The Lord rescues them from them all. He keeps all their bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. From the letter to the Hebrews in the seventh chapter, verses 23 to 28. Furthermore, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, undefiled, 
separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and then for those of his people. This he did once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests those who are subject to weakness, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. From the Gospel of Mark in the 10th chapter, verses 46 to 52. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Blindness is a light motif in Mark's gospel. You may recall that earlier in the gospel, Jesus encounters a blind man at the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus struggled to heal that blind man. He spit in the mud and put the mud on the man's eyes, but it took a couple of tries because the first time he said, okay, how's your sight now? And the man said, Well, it's kind of blurry. I can tell there are people walking around, but they just look like big trees. And so Jesus had to take another crack at it. Blindness was a pretty stubborn issue. And moving on from that story, we see... Jesus confronting the spiritual blindness of his followers again and again as he keeps explaining to them what is happening and why, and they just can't get it. And now, in Jericho, he meets Bartimaeus. At this moment when he is leaving the Galilee and going to Jerusalem for what will be the last time, This is his final journey. Now before this, Jesus has already healed a whole bunch of people. And none of them followed him. They all turned around and went back to their homes, pretty pleased that Jesus had healed them. But considering that they had no further obligation to Jesus whatsoever. 
Bartimaeus is unique because when he receives healing at the hand of Jesus, he leaves everything behind to follow Jesus on what will turn out to be a, a fatal journey. Bartimaeus means son of honor. From his spot beside the road where he's been sitting for goodness knows how long, perhaps long enough that the dirt under his butt has molded to his body. Wrapped in his sole possession, his cloak, covered with the dust stirred up by the feet that pass him. He cries out to Jesus. He heard Jesus and cried out. And the people around Jesus who have been following him and have watched Jesus heal all of these people, their first instinct is to say, shh, nobody wants to hear from you. Be quiet. You may be hurting. You may be crying out for justice. You may need healing. But nobody wants to hear it. These days, a lot of people who are crying out for healing and justice are sternly ordered to be quiet. Many who are speaking out about the brokenness of the world. And this week, the brokenness has been on full display. And this has been a very hard week for those of us who have to stand in pulpits like these. Because I know that I have been told to be quiet, but nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to hear about the brokenness of the world. But you see, a long time ago, I gave God my voice. And I don't have a choice. I am called to this pulpit to preach the gospel. And the gospel is what you will hear. There are many, and I have heard from many of them, who find the gospel to be terribly inconvenient because the gospel interferes with our political agendas. Well, the gospel is supposed to interfere with our political agendas. The gospel is and should be more important than any political agenda. It is supposed to guide how we live our lives, not just in terms of whether we read our Bible and pray, but in terms of how we engage in society and in terms of what we allow to happen. Here we are in a world that is spiritually and morally blind, willfully blind, and it is a world that needs to hear the gospel truth whether it wants to or not. Truly, being a preacher today is 
anche me. And so, Bartimaeus, the son of honor, cries out to God, cries out to Jesus for healing. And Jesus asks him, what is it that you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus says, let me see again. Indeed, his sight is restored and he follows Jesus on the way toward Jerusalem. But it begs the question, what is it that we ask Jesus to do for us? I like to think that when we answer Jesus' question, we ask that we might see again. That we might see the gospel truth that we might see the pain and anguish in others, that we may see the humanity of others. More often, though, I think what we say we want from Jesus is personal salvation, regardless of what happens to the rest of the world. Maybe we want a society where Laws are made that agree with everything that we hold as personal biases. Maybe we want riches in terms of a soaring stock market or tax breaks. But at what cost? At what cost do those things come? willfully turning a blind eye to immorality and amorality for the sake of political expedience and personal prejudice is not something that the gospel can allow. Too many of us are excusing hateful rhetoric as just words. But words are real. They have consequences, especially when they are uttered by the powerful. And I speak to both sides of the aisle because indeed there is incendiary rhetoric on both sides. But the arguments that are being made that excuse the rhetoric because, well, they started it. I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid and I was fighting with my sister and we went to mom and said, but she started it, that didn't fly. Didn't matter who started it. It will stop. And it will stop right now. Why is it that if children cannot use that argument, adults think that they can? And I will tell you that the events of this week in Louisville, an armed man tried to force his way into a black church, couldn't get in, so instead he went to the grocery store and shot the first two black people he could find. Pipe bombs being mailed to people. A mass assassination attempt. A massacre at a synagogue yesterday 
which was the worst attack on Jewish people that has happened in our country. And it is no coincidence that it happened during a week when our president proclaimed himself to be a nationalist. It's not a coincidence. The rhetoric coming from our leadership has been giving permission to the basest elements of society, unleashing hate, unleashing violence. And I don't care who started it. It's got to stop. And we have a moral imperative to ensure that it stops. The dean of the National Cathedral said yesterday, today's events are not isolated, but a tragic escalation of intolerance and politically motivated terroristic violence against people for who they are. It's on us, he says, each and every one of us, to stand against this kind of hatred and violence with love. Jesus is still on the road to Jerusalem, y'all. And we, who claim ourselves to be followers of Christ, need to be asking Jesus that we might see again. And we ought to emulate Bartimaeus and actually get up and follow Jesus on the way. We've gotten this idea that discipleship means showing up to Sunday school and to worship and then we're good for the week. That's not what discipleship is. Discipleship is getting up and following Jesus on the way. It doesn't mean sitting in worship and singing praises. It means actively learning from Jesus and then acting out what we have learned. Faith and discipleship are not an intellectual exercise. They involve praxis. We ask Jesus to take our lives and to be our vision. And we try to claim that following Jesus is satisfied by coming to church on Sunday when truly what Jesus wants is all of our lives. Every single aspect of it, and yes, including your political life, your spiritual life, your family life, your economic life, your political life. Discipleship is about faithful living day by day. Not just about reading the Bible and praying and going to church, but how we live out God's justice and mercy in our lives. Standing up for what is right, even if it's inconvenient, especially when it's inconvenient. Even if it doesn't benefit you personally, There's a lot of brokenness in this world today. And instead of trying to heal it, 
Our leaders are perpetuating it. And too often they're being cheered on by it. It was the crowd around Jesus who tried to stand in the way of Bartimaeus' healing. The very crowd that should have said, yes, you can find healing here, let's help you. Take my hand and I'll lead you to Christ. Take my hand and I will set your feet on the way. There are things that should not need to be said. But apparently they do. Murder is wrong. Mass assassination is wrong. Threatening to imprison political opponents is wrong. Anti-Semitism is wrong. Sexual harassment and assault are wrong. Separating children from their parents as punishment is wrong. Labeling people as enemies just because they're doing their jobs is wrong. Stirring up and stoking hate and misogyny and xenophobia is wrong. Even if that's the price you pay for a tax cut, even if that's the price you pay for a slate of conservative judges, even if that's the price you pay for your escalating stock dividends, nothing's worth that price. And it should be obvious to those of us who read the Bible, it should be obvious to those of us who have given our lives to Jesus. For those of us who call ourselves disciples. Our scriptures speak of accountability. We are held accountable. We will be held accountable. But we are also admonished to hold others accountable when others are promoting injustice, when others are spreading messages of hate. Insults and vilifying need to be put aside for the sake of healing. That's not to say that anybody should fall in line but we need to be working on the issues of the day not following demagogues whether they're conservative liberal republican democrat libertarian green party it doesn't matter we need to recognize where the injustices are and work because Every Sunday we come in here and we pray that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that's a very nice prayer, but what are we doing about it? Do we mean it enough to work for it?
Ultimately, I put my hope in this, that God is sovereign and victorious, that God heals us, but we gotta get out of the way and let God heal us. We've gotta let healing happen. God brings us to a place where we are redirected, away from the way we've always thought or behaved. God brought Job through all of his suffering and he said, you know what, pray for your friends. Now he started praying for his friends even before God restored his fortunes. He started praying for his friends. Whatever injustice he felt had been done to him suddenly was less important than the healing needed by his friends. We can learn from that. We must turn our prayer, not so much for ourselves, but for others. Just as Job provided an inheritance for his daughters as well as his sons, in a day and age and in a culture where daughters are more burdens than anything, where women are not entitled to a dang thing, in that day and age, Job saw justice done. Bartimaeus is indeed unique in Mark's gospel because most of the people in Mark's gospel, they didn't follow Jesus. They took what they could get and went home. And I think many still do that today. We take our declaration of pardon. We take our satisfaction that we personally are going to go to heaven. And we go home. But this day, let's learn something from Bartimaeus. And get up and follow Jesus on the way. For God's glory, this day and always. Amen.